It's 2005. Steve Croft sits down for a 60-minute interview with a young man that is on top of the world. This young man has millions of dollars, a supermodel wife, and not one, not two, but three Super Bowl rings. Anybody think they know who I'm talking about? Tom Brady, yes. Back in 2005, Brady was a true underdog story. He was drafted in 2000 with the 199th pick in the sixth round out of Michigan. Now, if you know anything about football, picks, quarterbacks picked in the sixth round aren't expected to necessarily even start for their team, let alone become a worldwide name. But Brady defied the odds. And as he sat down for that 60-minute interview, he was joking around, he was using self-deprecating humor, you could tell he was pretty happy with where he was in life. But then the interview takes an unusual turn. And Steve Croft says to Brady, he asks him what he's learning about himself. Now, this is a softball question. And you might expect Brady to say something like, well, I'm learning about how much I can accomplish if I just believe in myself, or I'm learning what can be accomplished if you just believe in your dreams. But Brady turns serious. And this is what he says to Steve Croft. He says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think there's gotta be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27, and what else is there for me? There's gotta be more than this. It's 2011. Aaron Rodgers sits on a bus having just won the Super Bowl hours before and been named Super Bowl MVP. Rodgers has accomplished a dream that he's had since he was a little boy. But Aaron would later recount to a reporter, I remember sitting on the bus after we won the Super Bowl in Dallas and thinking to myself, I'm on top of the world. We just accomplished the most amazing goal in football. But I'm sitting here with a semi-empty feeling. I had a moment where I said to myself, is this it? Is there more to life than this? Is there more to life than this? Jim Carrey uh, is a movie star, made millions of dollars in roles in movies like Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber, The Truman Show, two-time Golden Globe Award winner. But Jim Carrey once said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Now, you might be tempted to think that those are the words of rich snobs who just don't know how good they have it. And maybe there's something to that. But if nothing else, I think their words should cause all of us to at least pause and reevaluate our goals, our dreams, the things that we strive for. Because apparently, it's possible to accomplish everything that you ever dreamed of and still feel empty inside like there's something more. Perhaps the reason that these men and countless other men and women accomplished their dreams and still felt like they needed more is that we weren't created 
to make a name for ourselves or get rich or climb the ladder of success. Perhaps at a soul level, we were designed and created for something else entirely. So here's the question that I want us to wrestle with today. Do you know what you were created for? Your ultimate purpose, the reason that you are on this planet. We're in week two of our fall campaign, Operation Love Your Neighbor, a time of year where we focus on intentionally loving our community through acts of service. And today, our main scripture is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. So Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he writes these words. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Said another way uh, by Eugene Peterson in the message version, Paul writes, it's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we've done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. Now notice what Paul says there, or maybe notice what he doesn't say. Paul doesn't say to the church in Ephesus, you guys, you are just a couple more camels away from being truly happy. Like if, if you work really hard and you save up, you can get a couple more camels and boy, you're going to, boy, you're going to feel so good about yourselves. You get a couple more robes, man, then oh, that's what you're created for. No, no, no. Paul says you were created by God. You are his hand. You were created to do good works, created to join God in the work that he is doing here on earth. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says that, that we are co-laborers or fellow workers with God, doing his work in the world. We were created by God to join him in work here on this earth. Now, the question is, what work? The work that God has created us to do is to share his love, his goodness, his hope, his message of salvation with the world. To bring God's kingdom down to earth. But here's the problem. It's easy to forget that and get wrapped up in other messages. If you look around in our culture, our culture doesn't exactly share that message very often. Our culture, whether it's TV or movies, music, commercials, puts forth this idea that life is about getting as much as you can and protecting it. You are only the, you're, you're so close. You're the next cell phone or the next product, the next great vacation, the next raise at work away from being truly happy. And I mean, if we're honest, on a, at a deep level, we know that isn't true. But it's so easy to get wrapped up and in, in, in striving and chasing after these things, hoping that maybe, just maybe, if we get them, then our soul will finally rest. But that's not what we were created for. 
Each day we were meant to find our purpose, our joy, our fulfillment in being part of the glorious cause of sharing the love and goodness of God with the world. Have you ever been a part of something truly special? A job or a cause that you felt really mattered, and so each day you woke up energized and passionate about it because you felt like you were doing something that was significant. Anyone tell me the name of this company by their logo? Anyone, anyone know that one? Apple. Apple is one of the most recognizable company logos on the face of the planet. But that wasn't always the case. Back in 1983, seven years after Apple was founded, Apple was still a fledgling startup company, and there was no guarantee they were going to be around for another seven years, much less become a household name. One of Apple's founders, a man by the name of Steve Jobs, you may have heard of him, knew that if his company was going to survive, he needed a more seasoned manager to handle the day-to-day operations of the company. So Jobs set his sights on the smartest, most qualified man he could find a man by the name of John Scully. Now, at the time, John Scully was the president of Pepsi. You may have heard of Pepsi. And Pepsi had been John's life work. John Scully had helped turn Pepsi into the world's most successful, recognizable brands. So Steve Jobs went to John Scully and asked him to join Apple, and John said, I'm good. There was no reason for John Scully to leave Pepsi, this worldwide brand, and go to this little startup company with no sure future. It didn't make any sense. Steve Jobs wouldn't take no for an answer. And he continued to ask John Scully to join his company, and John Scully continued to say, no, and I'm not going to change my mind. Finally, as the story goes, Steve Jobs got together with John Scully, and he promised that this was his last pitch. And at the end of his pitch, this is what he said. Do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life, or do you want to come with me and change the world? Now that's a pitch. And sure enough, John Scully left Pepsi shortly thereafter and went to work at Apple. And the rest, as they say, is history. In those early years, workers at Apple said that they were convinced that they were doing something that was going to change the world. They were energized. They were passionate because they believed that what they were doing at Apple was significant and it mattered. Many years before Steve Jobs convinced John Scully to leave Pepsi, another man was talked out of a successful job with a similar pitch. The man's name was Peter. And Peter had a successful fishing business. But one day that all changed when a rabbi named Jesus came to Peter and invited him to leave his successful fishing business. And Jesus said to Peter, if he came and learned from him, he would stop fishing for fish and start fishing for men. Which sounds a little odd, but what Jesus was saying, what Jesus was offering Peter was not money, was not fame, not worldwide success. What Jesus was offering Peter was significance, a chance to impact the world. And Peter would go on to leave his successful fishing business and become a founder, one of the founding fathers of the early church. The movement that is Christianity that has revolutionized and changed the world. At a soul level, our souls desire to wake up each day and not chase after money 
or fame or more Instagram followers. Our souls desire to wake up each day and know that what we do matters. So let me ask you, each morning as you wake up, do you wake up with this deep down knowledge that you have been invited by God into something that matters, something extraordinary? A mission, a cause spanning thousands of years, the work of God in the world done by ordinary, imperfect people who choose to share the love of God in simple ways. This love has changed and revolutionized the world. From followers of Jesus organizing the first hospitals for the poor because they believed that all people were created with value, to followers of Jesus starting the first orphanages for children that no one else wanted because they believed that God taught that those children had value. The followers of Jesus advancing the sciences and medicine because they believed that if God created the world, there was order and reason. And if they could discover more, they could learn more about God and also help those around them created in his image. The followers of Jesus advancing education because they believed that everyone, regardless of race or gender or social status, should have a good education because they had value. And on and on it goes. Everywhere you look, it was followers of Jesus sharing his love with the world, believing that what they did mattered, that it advanced the world forward. Now, to be sure, followers of Jesus didn't always get it right. And over the past 2,000 years, horrible things have certainly been done in the name of Jesus which I think should be a sobering warning to all of us that we always have to take an honest look at our motivation for what we do in the name of God. Anytime that we do something in the name of God in order to get rich or more powerful or lord over someone else, we miss it. But make no mistake, over the past 2,000 years, the glorious cause of God's work in the world goes on, advanced by followers of Jesus, desiring to bring the goodness of God down into the world. And in 2021, friends, you are invited into that work. And you're not just invited into it. You're created for it, and you are equipped for it. One of the biggest lies that I think we can believe that holds us back is that we're not able to do work for God. We're not able to join God in work because we don't have what we need. We're too young. We're too old. We're not smart enough. We're not good enough. We're not wise enough to be part of the work that God is doing in the world. But here's the good news. You ready for the good news? Oh boy. You ready for the good news? Check your pulse. If you are alive, you've been invited. You've been invited and equipped by your creator. If you're alive, you've been invited and equipped. And more good news. Paul writes, it's by grace that we're saved. It is God's gift so no one can boast. What does that mean? It means that the work that we do for God is not about earning anything. It's not about earning anything. We're not not trying to earn our salvation from God. That is a gift. We're not trying to earn God's approval or love. That's a gift. We're not trying to even earn God's presence. Like he's already with us. We're not trying to earn anything from God. God has already given us everything. We're not trying to prove to God that we're worthy of anything. God, God has already called us worthy, his children. All of that is a gift. What we're doing is simply living as we were created to live. We're simply... We're simply going into 
what God created us and designed us to do in the first place. Significance. And so we do work for God, not, not because we feel this pressure to perform or be good enough or, or show, or maybe if we do something right, God will, God will bless us. No, none of that. God is already for us and with us. No, we simply live as we're designed to live because when we do that, our souls awake to, pur- to purpose. And let's be real clear where the work is. The work that God calls us to is right in front of us. It's easy to believe that the work that God wants us to do is on some far-off extraordinary adventure. But more often than not, the work that God invites us to is in the everyday. Like Pastor Mike said last week, it's easy to, to talk grandiose about changing the world, and that just sounds so big and, and impossible. But changing the world is really simply about changing a world. Changing the world of the people around you. The people that you have influence with, your family members, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, and as you change their world, you slowly begin to change the world. Parents, the way you love and lead your children, that is part of the work. As you mold and shape and influence the lives under your care, as you model love and joy and kindness, as you end generational hurt and sin and pain, refusing to pass it on to your children, as you model for your children, not perfection, but a willingness to love God and love others with all your heart, you change their world. And you begin to change the world. Young people, As you live your lives loving God and loving others, refusing to be swept up in the pettiness and self-centeredness and shallowness of high school and college drama, as you encourage the people around you, as you show kindness, as you model forgiveness, as you live out spiritual disciplines, as you practice healthy technology habits, as you refuse to be sucked into the world of social media comparison and time-wasting apps that tell you that you are nothing more than a consumer— You change your world. And as you change your world, you change the world. Northbrook, as we love our community, as we find opportunities to serve people in our community, our neighbors in simple ways, as we use our time and our talents to love people instead of just hiding away in our houses, we change their world. And as we change their world, we change the world. That's what Operation Love Your Neighbor is all about. And I love seeing the, the people that have already done things like the video of, of all of you that came and packed meals, giving up part of your weekend. And I love seeing this week the people on the Do Good bus. Um, here's some more pictures of their work. They actually went and collected seeds in a prairie, and those seeds are going to be used to start a new uh, prairie in the area. Conservation. And it's so cool to see old and young getting together, working together. But let's be real clear. Operation Love Your Neighbor is not about, well, let's love our community for one month and then we can just forget about them for 11 months. No, Operation Love Your Neighbor begins with this idea. We believe that as you begin to love people around you, you realize this is not something you do once in a while. This is a way of life. Your soul wakes up to purpose and your soul wants more. And so as you love your community, as you love your neighbors, it begins to become a way of life and not a thing we do once a year. 
So this past Sunday, I ran my fifth marathon. And here's a picture of me a couple miles in. I'm going to be honest, this was when I was feeling really good about my decision to run 26.2 miles. But here's the picture of me towards the end of the marathon. About the time that I questioned what kind of stupid person pays to do this. But you know, I was, uh, I was never a runner in high school. I always played sports where running was the punishment in practice if you didn't do well. And so uh, all the sports that I competed in, uh, you had half the people there cheering for your team, and then you had half the people there cheering for the other team or cheering against you, which I think is one of the reasons why I love marathons. Uh, because if you've ever been a part of a marathon, everyone is cheering for all the runners. Like complete strangers are clanging cowbells and screaming encouragement, and they're holding the best signs. Like they're holding signs that say things like, you run better than the government. Yes, I do. <laughs> They're holding signs like, worst parade ever. <laughs> I trained all summer to hold this sign. I go on and on. They're hilarious. But they're so encouraging. And it's not just them. Like, people give up their, their Sunday morning, uh, uh, kids in school, kids part of, of, that are part of track teams or, or cross-country teams, they'll come out and they'll be part of the water stations and they'll hand you water as you run by. And it's just this encouraging atmosphere. And it's not even just the spectators, even, even the participants. Now, it might, be, it might be more competitive up near the front, but I'm in the middle of the pack. And so in the middle of the pack, like, everyone's encouraging each other and, like, you got this and... And uh, even uh, towards the end of the run, I, I was getting tired and I wasn't picking up my feet like I should and I tripped over something and I almost face planted. And uh, all the runners around me were like, are you okay? You're good. You, you got this. You can do this. Pick up your feet. And it was this, it's just this encouraging, this encouraging atmosphere. It's this, this camaraderie that we're in it together. Seeing the other runners in pain, tired, exhausted, but pushing through it, 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 encouraged, it encouraged me to finish strong. You know, the Apostle Paul refers to this life on more than one occasion in the Gospels as a race. Now, I know some of you don't like running. Just hang with me. He refers to this life as a race. But on this race, we are not alone. We're running it with the people around us, the people in this room, the people in our communities, the people in our families. We're running this race together. And the truth is that as we, as we do good, as we do what we are created to do by God, as we serve and love others, it's not just that we make a difference in those lives. So much more than that. As we do good, as we love others, it encourages and inspires and motivates the people around us to love and do well too. Our theme verse for this year's Operation Love Your Neighbor is Hebrews 10.24. Where the writer says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Other translations would translate that, let's think of ways to encourage or motivate or spur each other on towards acts of love or good works. So the truth is, your life not only impacts the people around you that you love, but it can encourage or inspire the people around you that see you loving well and want to do that too. The way that you love your family, the way that you love your kids, the way that you love your coworkers, the way that you love your neighbors, not only does it impact them, but it can encourage and inspire other parents, other neighbors, other family members, other coworkers to love well too. 
This past week, I was at a restaurant for breakfast, and I ordered coffee, and uh, I put a couple packets of cream in. Um, I know some of you drink your coffee black, not sure what you're trying to prove. <laughs> Every service, someone comes up to me and is mad that I, if you drink black coffee, I love you. But I put a couple packets of creamer in, and then I realized I had nothing to stir my coffee. And so I thought, well, maybe, magically, the creamer has just equally dispersed itself. And so I took a drink, not the case. And so I had to wait, and finally someone came over, I asked for a spoon, and I stirred it up and took a sip. So much better. Which is actually a little interesting if you think about it, because all of the ingredients were already in the cup. They just needed to be stirred up. As followers of God, we... We have all the ingredients. God's presence is with us. His love is with us. We are his handiwork created in Christ to do good works that God has prepared for us. Your family is not an accident. Your neighbors are not an accident. Your coworkers are not an accident. All of it is already there. God has given you everything that you need. Doing good works, being a part of what God's doing in the world, isn't about changing your life, most likely. It's more about recognizing the opportunities in the life you already have. And as we seize the opportunities in the life that we have, not only do we impact the people around us, but we stir up, we encourage, we motivate the people around us that are watching. And as they begin to love, as they begin to show kindness, as they begin to bring God's goodness down to earth, God's love begins to seep out into the world, and the world changes. So here's the question that we started with. Do you know what you were created for? Do you realize each morning that you have been invited into work that matters? And it's right where you're at, the way you love your kids, the way you love your spouse, the way you love your coworkers, the way you love your friends. That's the work. What would it look like this week to wake up each morning more aware of the work that God invites you into? What would it look like this week to wake up each morning and know that you have been invited into extraordinary work? As you leave this week, uh, we have these stir sticks out on the tables. I encourage you to grab one as you leave. And uh, my challenge to you would be to put this stir stick somewhere. You'll see it every day. If you want to use it, you can, but that's not the point. Put it somewhere. You'll see it every day. And my, my hope is that as you see this stir stick, as you go about your week, that it'll be a reminder that you've been invited into something important. It's not about how good you are, how smart you are, how great you are. And it's not about earning anything. God's already given you everything. It's simply about living into your purpose. Being a part of the invitation to bring the kingdom of God down to earth in simple little ways. As we wrap up, we do have handouts out in the lobby if you want to be a part of one of the other Do Good Bus events or some of the other things that we have through Operation Love Your Neighbor. There are packets out in the lobby you can grab and, and browse through to see the opportunities that you have over the coming days. But again, church, my challenge to all of us as we leave is that each morning we would wake up with a deep down knowledge that we're not selling sugar water. 
Even if you work for Pepsi, you're not selling sugar water. You're changing the world through small intentional acts of love that you've been created for, equipped for, and invited into by God. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness and your love. I thank you that you could work in the world any way you want, and yet for some reason you choose to use ordinary people to bring your hope and love and goodness down to earth. Some days I don't feel equipped for that. Some days I wonder why you just don't use some other method, but that's the one you've chosen. And so, Father, I pray you would give us all the courage and the wisdom, the strength to just be your hands and feet. May we step into the invitation that we have to be a part of what you're doing in the world, not to earn anything from you, but to simply live as we were created. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.